You're listening to All Things Video. This episode is brought to you by TubeBuddy, the complete toolkit for YouTube channel management. This power-packed Chrome extension helps with everything from bulk metadata edits and trending keyword suggestions to thumbnail optimization, fan engagement tools, and so much more. Our team at Bent Pixels uses TubeBuddy to manage channels for major brands like SeaWorld and Live Nation, as well as celebrities like Kevin Hart and Joe Rogan. They absolutely rave about the product, and I'm sure you'll love it too. Visit TubeBuddy.com to meet your new best friend on YouTube. Welcome back to All Things Video, where we spend each episode uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. I'm your host, James Creech, and today we're joined by Steve Levy, co-founder and CEO of BPM Media and the BPM Network. Steve has worked with some of the world's top artists and musicians, including Afrojack, Nicky Romero, Showtech, Paul Oakenfold, Umek, and many more. He's a fellow adrenaline junkie who shares my passion for riding motorcycles, loves great music, and is passionate about digital media. Steve, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. So what got you interested in music and prompted you to pursue a career in the music industry? I think I've always been interested in music. Uh, when I was a kid, I always used to make mixtapes and kind of DJ parties whenever we had family parties. And I'm talking about going back to 8-track days, mm -hmm. so that was a little while ago. When I was in college, we used to promote a night for the the kids at college to go out on a Thursday night and I DJed at that, and then I was back in England when the whole Acid House and Rave thing kicked off and then moved back here and saw an opportunity to continue club promotions, mm -hmm. and we started doing some warehouse parties, and I continued to DJ, and that ended up turning into a record label. So Very cool. Do you still keep that up today? Do you DJ or produce any music? I DJ to my kids. It doesn't <laughs> impress them. So it's, but um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I like to keep my ear in. I'm, I, mm -hmm. I'm still very much up on what's happening with music, particularly electronic music mm -hmm. or EDM, as it's being called now. Sure. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. Any particular styles you're following closely today? I mean, I, I liked some of the bass stuff. My personal passions called sort of more towards the hard style because mm -hmm. we, we were into we, we did a lot of hardcore stuff with moonshine music back in the day and mm -hmm. a lot of uh drum and bass i like drum and bass I, I like bass music but i'm kind of across the board and you're originally from the uk how is the music scene in europe different from the the electronic music scene here in the states well i guess that's a big question during the 90s when we launched moonshine music here there was electronic music and the whole dance music thing was a mainstream. It was mainstream. It, mm -hmm. Everyone was going out clubbing. DJs were superstars in Europe. And over here, it was pretty much underground. I mean, I like, mm. I kind of like to say that back in the 90s, the rave scene was for the freaks and geeks. And uh, now it's kind of the bros and hoes for you know, lack of a better word. Sure. And um, it's really taken hold. I think it's different. Not really being on the ground that much in Europe recently, I don't know, but I think that the the whole thing with the actual actual music is that it kind of transcends, and because particularly with dance music, it's not really vocally led. It doesn't matter whether you're in Croatia or you're in Georgia, America, mm -hmm. USA. It doesn't really matter. I, I think definitely the countries have a little bit different scenes, particularly in the UK right now, the whole house and what's being called future house thing is is big, whereas the big room stuff that's still kind of pushing over here can't get arrested there. Hmm. So you, you mentioned you started Moonshine Music and then BPM Media. Have you always considered yourself an entrepreneur? Well, I've never had a job. <laughs> so 
I'm not sure how employable I am. So I guess I've got to, I've had to go out and uh, actually kind of run businesses and build businesses myself. So yes, I think is the short answer to that question. And how did that happen? I mean, you, you mentioned never having a job, starting off DJing, club promoting, and then kind of starting your own music label. What led you down that path initially? I got lucky because as a promoter, I started making money pretty much straight out of college. And so I didn't really have to fall back on anything. I, I got involved in a few other things. I taught myself how to do graphic design. And while I was promoting, I was also doing club flyers for other clubs. And so it was always hustling for stuff. And then when the opportunity came along to start Moonshine Music, it was pretty, we just put our heads down, particularly when you're young. You don't really have any fear and you don't really think, am I going to make money or not? You just kind of follow your passion. I think that's really what has led to me starting businesses and running businesses, just really following where my passion was. So, yeah. That's terrific. Passion is a huge part of it, but there's also a lot of challenges with running, starting and running your own business, right? So what are some of the hard parts? Again, a big question. I think the biggest challenge for any entrepreneur is capitalization of the business, that's something when I was in my 20s, I didn't even see or realize. Fortunately, we had businesses that kind of kicked off money real quickly. And, and we had partners whereby we were able to always um, fund the business. So I think that was why we've always been able to grow our businesses. But I think if you're starting a business and you're not well capitalized and you, you don't have at least some runway, whether it's personal or, or corporate, that's probably one of the biggest challenges, I think. There's so many challenges every day, but maybe because I've worked for myself and run business, I don't even see them half the time. I don't, they don't present themselves as challenges to me, whereas someone who might have just come out of having a job and having a paycheck might see them as huge hurdles to get over. Mm -hmm. Well, and you've been in the music business now for many years and you've seen it go through some fundamental shifts. How has the digital transformation of the music business played a role and what are the key takeaways from that recent transformation? Well, I think, I mean, it's, it's probably not very recent, but we were there when we were selling CDs. We were even there when there was this transition to CD from vinyl and from cassette. And that brought a lot of money into the business because there was there was a huge shift for everyone moving their personal collections over to CD. So, there was, so in the 90s and the early 2000s, the record business was a great business. We were also there when the kids stopped buying the shiny silver discs and we had file sharing and, and actually CD burning was probably, I think, a bigger problem for the music business. And we also had a big problem where retail collapsed as well. And, and kind of all of those things led to the music business going away for some time. And that was probably around 2003, 2004. And at that same time, you had the rise of the digital file, you had iTunes, and that was a transition. I think right now we're coming to another transition where you've got the digital file and ownership of that. And essentially the file is a box the same way as a CD is a box. We're now moving it to consumption through streaming. And, you know, it's more about access rather than ownership. Uh, so I think there are opportunities again in the music business. And I think there's also going to be a pretty big flow of revenue back against actual music mm -hmm. because so many people are going to be able to access music. I think piracy is going to go away. It's harder to go find a, a file on a BitTorrent than it is just to spark up YouTube and, and listen to some music or spark up SoundCloud. So I think we're actually a, a pretty interesting time again. 
for music. You covered a lot of ground there. Do you see this mostly as a technological change uh, that we move from different platforms to another, or is this caused by cultural shifts? Is it a change in business models and consumption patterns? What is kind of causing the you know this shift? I think part of it's generational. That you had the Napster generation, which grew up saying, I'm not going to pay for music. Why should I pay for music? It's free. It's out there. I can just go get it. And I think that that generation has kind of now grown up and moved on as far as being a a core consumer of music. Now you've got a younger generation that's used to seeing ads against music on YouTube and, you know, they're going to listen to ads on SoundCloud. And so I think that's the cultural side of it. I think the technological side of it is the fact that everyone's got a computer in their pocket that's always connected and it's just easy to access the music very quickly. I look at how my kids access music. They're also not, you know, they don't download it. They curate with playlists. They Mm. share playlists. So the technology that's brought that on has made it much easier to swap music, share music, move music around and just listen to it anytime. So those are the the two main shifts, I think now you've also got a situation where the gatekeepers now kind of caving in to it and realizing that they, they just can't hold on to the old model. I mean, Who do I'm you staring, see? I'm staring out the window looking at the Capitol Records <laughs> right now, and you know, that's coming down at some point. So, because they're going to put condos up there, and I think that, wow. that you know, that's an indicator of kind of where we're at. And mm-hmm. um, the fact that the, at least the major labels are now finally allowing their catalogs to be on platforms like SoundCloud and YouTube. That's going to be a big shift too. Yeah. Do you see the same phenomena happening in video for TV networks and film studios, much in the same way it's happened to music? Absolutely. I I think the thing about the movie business and the TV business is that they watched how the music business just screwed things up in the early 2000s with how they were managing their rights and and putting walls up and and I think that they were they just did a better job of, of kind of of managing how their content was going to be consumed digitally. I mean I think that there's also a lot of different things going on there where the streaming technology is, you know, it's pretty hard still even today, it takes a long time to download a movie. So if you can make it easier to view a movie on Netflix than it is to download it, charge someone ten bucks a month, I think that's where you're gonna win. And so but I think what's interesting particularly with television, is, you know, looking how it's being served up on YouTube in kind of pieces and, you know, like almost like episodes within episodes. It's, you know, they're, they're definitely following the same path as music where um, there's there's a big sea change and, and people have got to figure that out as well. It's not really my area of expertise, but definitely seeing it. Mm-hmm. Well, there seem to be a number of trends that are fueling it much in the same way that it happened to music, right? We're seeing more people uh, have the ability to be creators today. Whereas before, you know, in music industry, decisions were made by three or four major players, same way with television, kind of key networks. And now every 17-year-old with a smartphone can be a creator. And the same way that distribution was changed in the music industry with uh, the lack of, of physical sales moving to more of online dis- retail and then ultimately to streaming, I think we're seeing changes in business models in the video business as well with television networks and film studios. Yeah. I I mean, I think the greatest thing, so I, you know, I was there when electronic music came up and the great thing about electronic music in the nineties was the fact that production was democratized. Mm -hmm. If you had 
a computer, you could make music that could actually be played on the radio at some point. There's still obviously the challenges with distribution. There's still gatekeepers at kind of various levels, whether it was the independent labels or the major labels. And then there were gatekeepers at radio and TV that obviously all crumbled, I think, five or six years ago with the advent of YouTube and Facebook and then SoundCloud distribution was put in the hands of the creator as well, which has really, I think, been a key part of why electronic dance music, EDM, has has exploded in America now. As far as video goes, yeah. I mean, every 17-year-old, like you said, has got the ability not just to, to create and produce, but also to broadcast. And they've also got the ability to build their audiences completely outside of the studio ecosystem. So really, you know, yes, there's a whole bunch of crap out there, but ultimately the talent does rise up. So so I think, you know, it's a fantastic time from that standpoint. I think you summed it up perfectly. It sounds like there's a lower barrier to entry where everyone can become a producer and a broadcaster. And then the distribution models, we're getting rid of those gatekeepers, as you call them, or the middlemen, right? The, the yeah. value chain is getting simplified so that if I'm an artist, I can go directly to my end user, my consumer of the, of the music at this point. Yeah. 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 I mean, you can reach them and you can you can reach out to them. You mm-hmm. can interact with them. I think that that's, you know, that's a huge part. I think that the audience is also involved in that process and they appreciate being involved. You know, for, for myself, I'm more lean back, but I watch how teens want to be interacting with the, with the people that they're following, with, with the people that they're fans of. And the ones that rise up are the ones that have mastered that interaction with their fans. Mm-hmm. And on that note, it sounds like a lot of musicians now are looking to video as a way to engage with their audiences. So like before we had MTV as the music video generation, and now we have creators making behind the scenes videos, you know, direct to their audience videos, trying to find more ways to engage. How does BPM network help the creators with that? Well, I think the thing that has, has, and continues to kind of cause me to scratch my head somewhat is that you look at the rise of some of the, you know, quote unquote YouTubers and, you know, there's kids in their bedrooms that have done this amazing job of creating something, then reaching an audience and building an audience and building a following. And I think that a lot of artists, a lot of music artists have not, have not taken advantage of that process Mm -hmm. and not used that process. And I think that that's where, we're going to see some kind of future music stars come from. And I also think that it's where some of the current stars can really build on their audience. And I think that that's what we're trying to do with BPM Network is kind of give them a platform. We're the only multi-channel network and now probably multi-platform network that's specifically focused on music. And we're, we're trying to work with the established artists that we have to kind of give them more of the tools so that they can interact better using platforms like YouTube and using video. And then also we're trying to bring those tools, those those same tools to up and coming artists. And, and you know, I really want to see some artists literally break on YouTube. Yes, mm-hmm. there's been some that have done it. Madian's a great example, but it's amazing how few have done it mm-hmm. considering how when you look at kind of the ecosphere of the actual YouTubers and, and the video there, it's definitely more heavily weighted towards video artists rather than music artists. Uh, so we're going to continue to see these online video platforms as a discovery engine for new talent, but also a way for artists to connect and engage with their communities in a more meaningful way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, and I encourage music artists and DJs to really 
use the video platforms to do that mm-hmm. more and more, and, and and also to kind of follow the methods that the YouTubers have used. I mean, they're pretty. They're, you know, they, they, there's a playbook, and it yeah, works, do it works. You know? Yeah. So you help artists on YouTube, on SoundCloud, iTunes distribution. What are some of the other key platforms that are, are critical for a music artist today? Spotify is just more and more every day becoming more and more important. They're also throwing off pretty good revenue if you're set up right with them and you're driving audience there. You know, I think SoundCloud is going to be a revenue source. We, we're one of the early on SoundCloud partners and part of their monetization program. And, and I'm very encouraged by what I'm seeing there, you know, as far as per stream revenue goes. And, and it's very early days. It's a little bit more complicated to manage than YouTube, but they've got their heads down and they're, they're building out, I think, a really, a really good system for artists to both be able to promote and at the same time monetize. Whereas before it was all about promotion and giving your music away for free. Now you can kind of do both. Mm -hmm. I think Apple music is going to be very important. I think there's, I wouldn't even say the jury's out yet. It's just such early days. And and I think that there's going to be a lot of money coming in against the consumption of music. Thanks to Apple music. I just, I don't know if it's going to happen in three months, but I wouldn't bet against it. And I think that, you know, it's very encouraging for the music business again, because there'll be money coming in for consumption. What about live streaming? YouTube has done a little bit of this with big music festivals like Coachella. Do you think uh, artists themselves will turn to live streaming platforms? Yeah, well, we, we've been involved in live streaming with, with the Ultra Music Festival. We, we brought Seven Up to that. And as a sponsor, it was it's one of the biggest music streams on, on YouTube. And it was very, it's been very successful. I think for the big brands in the festival space, I think it's important. There's a whole bunch of issues going on in the background with the rights issues and the monetization. And I think that they still haven't really sorted themselves out. I think YouTube has done the best job of managing that, but there's a bunch of platforms that aren't and should be because there's a flow of revenue going on there. I think using live streams to build audience and and connect with your audience is, is a natural for the bigger DJs. There's some interesting things going on. There's a, there's a company called Clubcast that's that's doing streaming from a studio into clubs hmm. remotely and in places that traditionally a lot of DJs might not even show up to. So that's kind of interesting. But yeah, I think live streaming is definitely a good way for the artists to connect. Um, as far as, you know, is it going to be a big revenue center for anyone? Not unless you've got a huge brand that you can kind of bring in partners and sponsors on. You've also mentioned the rights issues a few times. Are you seeing artists face a lot of uh, rights issues with people uploading their content to Facebook, uploading their content to other platforms where there's not effective copyright or anti-piracy controls? Well, yes. Obviously, right now, Facebook is a hot topic from your side of the world with the freebooting of the videos. There's a whole bunch of content up there that's definitely not being, the rights definitely are not being managed correctly. Uh, same thing going for music. Seeing a, you know a ton of music in videos being played with ads next to them on Facebook. And at this point, it's surprising me that the major labels at least are not jumping up and down. Although what I'm hearing is that they are working on a CMS, on a content management system. And I think 
they're going to be intelligent in the way that they roll it out. So um, I think, again, that's going to be another boom for music and anyone who is owning the rights to content. I think just right now they're playing a little bit hard and fast. It was fine probably for YouTube to do it in 2006 before they, you know, before they were bought by Google. But the fact that Facebook is a $160 billion company and they're playing again, they're they're kind of flying a bit close to the sun. But Mm -hmm. I think they'll figure it out and it will be good for all of us. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we definitely want to be involved in that. Are you helping your artists today combat those issues, monitor that online? Well, I'm not in the, with, as far as what, how we work with our artists, I'm not in the business of kind of taking down I'm in the business of them maximizing their revenue when they get plays. I personally am not a great believer in running around with a big hammer and and kind of knocking users on the head when they're uploading UGC with content from our partners or anything. And and and, because I think that there's still a great deal of misunderstanding out there, particularly, you know, when I see on YouTube kids uploading mixes and I see we may have some of our artists that or really for, from a windowing perspective, have a block policy running for some of their music that we're managing. And, and, you know, I get these emails or I see the emails in the background, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm just doing a mix and I, I, I'm not hurting anybody, but it's like, you know, there's nothing I can do, but I definitely, we're definitely not running around striking and knocking out channels unless there's blatant misuse going on. So what's coming next? If you had to make three predictions for the music industry, what do you see? Money. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that's, money for music and money for the consumption of music. I think that's the first thing. I think that there's just, I think the consumption of music is going to grow just because I think there's going to be more and more free to consumer platforms or feels like free to consumer platforms out there. I mean, Facebook is, I'm really, you know, I'm really bullish on what will happen with Facebook. I think that that's just going to up the consumption of music, at least in video for sure. I think, you know, I'm really bullish on SoundCloud as well. But yeah, I mean, those, those are probably my three, the three things that I'm kind of leaning on at the moment. And what do those mean for the future of BPM Network? Well, we, our job is first of all to manage the rights or for the music of the partners that we work with. So it's labels, it's DJs. So I think it just means that we're going to grow. It means we're going to have more work to do, So, <laughs> but that's fine. Mm-hmm. I think, like I said, we're at this great transition point again from the file, from kind of the downloading of files to an ownership to access. And um, I'm really happy that we're kind of going to be there at the beginning of it and we're going to be able to build our business on the back of that. Great. If you were starting a business in either the online video or the music business today, what would you do? So the music business, I'd actually just be an agent. Hmm. (laughs) why is that (laughs) because you know it's funny because that's where the agents make all the money i think i think that that's probably the best place to be or management although management is a somewhat thankless job because it's kind of like being a parent (laughs) except they're not actually your children no i think you just you just have to look at the new platforms or they're not even new but you look at the free to consumer platforms where you're able to actually connect with your audience and interact with your audience and where there's a, yes, there's an interaction. And I think that that's what you've got to kind of focus on. I think that the platforms out there where the artists don't have a direct line and aren't able to manage their audience. Yes. They're going to survive. And I'm talking about streaming services like Rhapsody and, and, 
Pandora and stuff like that because people definitely want to lean back. But I think that there's a whole generation that doesn't want to lean back. They want to interact and they want to own the artists that they're fans on and they want to own their fandom. So I think if you're looking to get involved in video or looking to get involved in music, you've got to work on those platforms. So it's YouTube, it's SoundCloud, Facebook I think is going to be interesting, uh, Twitch. That's where I think the future is. What recommendations do you have for people listening who might want to start a career in the music industry today? You've got to love it. It's got to be something that you just wake up and that's all you want to do is be involved with music. It's tough to break into now because a lot of people want to break into it. I think, yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is just got to be a passion for you. you. It can't be work every day. So that's the first thing. I think also focus, focus on a particular area. I think that you don't want to be a generalist. So if you have interest in live and or you want to be a booking agent, just focus on that and yeah, and then become an expert. All these years later, do you still have that passion for music that you had so many years ago when you started? Yeah. I, you know, I, I still hear music and I get excited about it. Fortunately, I have kids who are also into music. And I mean, like just this morning, I was doing the school run and my daughter pulled out and said, can I, you know, can I connect to your stereo with my iPhone and I want to play you some stuff on SoundCloud and they're playing me stuff that, I, that sounded really great and I was into it. And so, yeah, I always get excited when I hear kind of new music. That, that's cool. That's good. What are your kids listening to? They're listening to a lot of new hip hop. So I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> Are you seeing hip hop being influenced by EDM? Yeah, I think that everything's being influenced by everything. And I think, you know, EDM is now such a broad term. I mean, all, so kind of back in the day, the thing that I always saw and I knew when the crossover was going to come was when basically the production values of electronic music crossed over into pop music and i think when that happened was probably around 2010 when you had david Guetta producing the black ips and that all taking off and that was kind of a big transition i remember being at electric daisy carnival when it was the last time when it was at the coliseum i was standing on stage and will i am was djing and there were thirty thousand kids out front and he was playing basically what were the backing tracks to that album that came out like three, four months later. Wow. And so that happened and that's where we're at. And the production values and the production processes are, are now pretty much, you know, they're influencing everything except rock and country. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's a huge amount of influence going on. Mm -hmm. And do you still go to a lot of live shows? I go to a few festivals and, you know, I'll pop into a club every once in a while. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not out every night by any means. Um, but yeah, I, I still like to go out. And, mm -hmm. You know, my, a lot of my friends run the business, so I, I get to go out and you know check it out. I mean, seeing the scale you know, of things like Electric Daisy Carnival and, and stuff like that is just astonishing. You know, having seen what you know where they started and having great knowledge of how they started. And yeah, I think I think again that's something that's really exciting to me. Yeah, that must be fun. Where can people find out more about you or more about BPM Network? BPM Network US is kind of where the whole YouTube business and SoundCloud business you can find out about. We also have the BPM.net, which is our website, which is kind of the front face of our ad network where, and the other websites in, in the genre that we work with. And then uh, you can find me on LinkedIn if you want. Tell us a little bit more about the ad network really quick. BPM was originally a magazine and that was kind of how I 
transition. But when the magazine business went away, so I had the pleasure of being in both the music business when CDs went away and the publishing business when magazines went away. We just got into the ad network business and we worked with a lot of websites that are focused on dance music. Well, Steve, thanks so much for being on the show. Fascinating stories. It's really incredible to hear you talk about the transformation of the music industry. So thanks again. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another episode of All Things Video.